This is a previously recorded episode. You're listening to the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Simon Cowell, a broadcast. Plagiarized the work of a blogger, David Harnes. Now, what's going on with that? Just bag. Where's my number? Bag. It was condescending bag. I had a few too many, and I just drove home, and then just fucking, yeah. Is it true you sexually harassed a co-worker uh, oh, man. in a college newspaper? It's a Detroit sports website. Uh, I don't say this. This 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 puke isn't even worth being mentioned. The only time we should mention him is for his obituary. Except okay. no one will care when he's dead. We're talking to T. Foss, Terry Foster, ninety-seven-one. Uh, this guy got his hands into everything: failed restaurants, failed marriages, failed liquor licenses. This guy's an animal. I make good choices nowadays. Before we get started, Jeff Moore. Is that correct? Lawrence, you here to do the interview today or yeah. what's the deal? Yeah, no, I just... All right. Well, we, we, I'm sure Terry greatly appreciates that. The other thing is, you, you guys are raising hell out there in Detroit, aren't you? I, I, I've got some people telling me, you better not go on that show with those guys. Those guys are making everybody angry and getting them mad and doing stuff. So you're, you're creating quite a stir back there in Detroit. DetroitSportsRag.com podcast after a two-week hiatus. I am back. My name is Jeff Moss, uh, editor-in-chief, founder of the Detroit Sports Rag. And as always, the DSR podcast is sponsored by CaliTickets.com. That's C-A-L-I, CaliTickets.com. For all your ticket needs, you can call them at 877-225-8425. Tomorrow night, or excuse me, Friday night, I believe, Young the Giant down at the uh, Fillmore. Saturday, Lumineers at Meadowbrook. 
Tigers have some games left, supposedly, on the uh, schedule. Lions tickets seem to be easily available. So uh, if you need any tickets, mention the DSR. You get a 10% discount by calling 877-225-8425-CaliTickets.com. I'm alone today. My former co-host, Jasper Apollonia, as you might know, took a job at Sirius XM. He is actually, I think, working on a show hosted by Brady Quinn, former quarterback at Notre Dame. I believe he was with Cleveland, the Browns, for a little while before his NFL career exited. Coincidentally enough, Brady Quinn is the brother-in-law of Columbus Blue Jackets defenseman, Jack Johnson. And as you might also know, Jack Johnson, in the six degrees of separation of the DSR, and it's not even six degrees, it's about one degree, Jack Johnson is best friends with Justin Spiro, who is the former co-host of this show before Jasper. So yes, Brady Quinn, the brother-in-law of Jack Johnson, is working with Jasper Apollonia and uh, is, you know, connected to Justin Spiro through Jack Johnson. So very odd circumstance. I don't know if Jasper, who is on the outs more than even I am with Justin, has mentioned to Brady Quinn the connection. Um, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, that, and I don't think Brady Quinn and Justin are... Very close either. I think they had a, a falling out over politics at the bachelor party for Jack Johnson's uh, wedding. So, very interesting though. Guys are focused on politics at bachelor up or bachelor parties. That's I, interesting to me. Yeah, I, that's a good question. That's Jessica, by the way. She's Hi. still here, producing as always. Yeah, he didn't fire me. <laughs> I didn't fire anyone. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. I have not fired anyone. I as we were speaking before the show. I'm not exactly the easiest person uh, to co-host a show with. Not, co- not even co-host, because obviously I'm going to take uh, much of the uh, program up with my rants and in my discussion. So it's not exactly the easiest gig to work with me. Well, people admittedly. tune in to listen to you, though, so there's that. Right. See, I need a sidekick who doesn't really want that much attention. I need like a little bitch like Mark Fellhauer was to Drew Lane. And actually, Mark Fellhauer is unemployed, I believe, since he got laid off from Detroit 105.1. So maybe he can do this job. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did look for some guests for today's show, but we are guestless. Um, I did ask... Former 97.1 morning show host, Bill McAllister, to appear on the program. A man who has challenged me to a boxing match in the past. That was before he got fired or his contract wasn't picked up by CBS radio and he was replaced by uh, the human paint-dry YouTube video, Jamie Samuelson. So now it's Jamie and Stoney hosting that show. Bill is currently unemployed, although I'm sure he will get a job in this market soon considering he was on the number one or number two um, morning show for the last few years. Bizarre that they dumped him and then 
stated that uh, it was because they wanted to talk more about sports. And then from what I've been told over the last couple weeks since uh, Jamie replaced McAllister, they haven't been talking that much about sports anyway. So I'd like to have McAllister on the show. I've put out a feeler to him. I haven't heard back. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's holds a grudge that I call him a poor man's or uh, a, a wannabe of Jay Towers. <laughs> Maybe he's holding a grudge over that. I don't know. But he can come in here and call me a fucking asshole. I mean, he wouldn't be the first this week, which we'll get into later. When I uh, play some clips from the Howard Stern show yesterday, another connection to uh, Jasper, Sirius XM. So we got a lot to talk about. We haven't been on for a couple weeks. There's been a lot going on. Obviously, we have Lions and Tigers discussion um, and the Stern stuff. The thing I'm going to start off with today is some kind of late-breaking news. It's kind of interesting, I thought. Um, Metro Times broke this article. I don't know if you heard about this, Jessica, but you, you know Bookies, the bar in Detroit? Oh, yeah. 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 That behind the Fox and everything? Mm-hmm. I haven't been there in forever. I've been there, you know, once in a while. I would go there before a game or something. Right. So the reason they're in the news, and now it's kind of gone everywhere, the Detroit News, the Free Press have picked it up. Uh, the co-owner of Bookies, a guy named, by the name of Marco Durant, went on Facebook after that black motorist was, I would put it, executed. The unarmed guy from Oklahoma the other oh, day. Oh, yeah. I just saw that on YouTube. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. On the news. It a, yeah. yeah. It was a news thing. Uh, guy Jesus is unarmed. Christ. I don't know what he was doing if he was, you know, saying he didn't think he did anything wrong or whatever, but the guy had no gun on him and some woman cop shot and killed him. So after that, this Marco Durant, who was the co-owner on his Facebook page, it says owner at Bookie's Bar and Grill. He went on and said, do you mean the unarmed man who didn't listen to police again? The one who continued to resist resist by walking away from the police again. The one who continued to walk away with his hands up and proceeded to disobey more orders at the way uh, back up to his vehicle. Then put his hands down, continued to disobey orders. That unarmed man, that one that simply didn't listen again. And it goes on and on. Um, I don't know. The last time I checked in this country, you don't get the death penalty when you're unarmed and maybe not doing exactly everything that the police want you to do. And I don't, don't think we know the full story yet. All we know is this man was killed. He didn't have a gun. The video doesn't look like, doesn't look like he was any threat to anyone and he was murdered. And this imbecile, whether or not you agree or disagree with his beliefs, I think they're abhorrent. I think he's an idiot. Yeah. Uh, why people continue to make these social media posts when they own a business and they're going to, in this case, probably alienate maybe 65 to 70% of their clientele. Yeah. It's based out of Detroit. Like what is yeah, exactly. the majority? This you is, know what I'm yeah, saying? exactly. He's not exactly in Oklahoma city, Oklahoma. No. Yeah. He's in Detroit. So the reason I'm mentioning this, and the guy wasn't shot. He was murdered slash Slaughtered, you right. know, he wasn't yeah. doing anything. He wasn't trying to pull out a piece or whatever. Right. So the reason I'm bringing this up is uh, I don't want to get into an entire Colin Kaepernick uh, discussion. But the one thing you can do when things like this come out uh, is you can decide not to 
to frequent establishments owned by people who are stupid enough to make their racist views known on Twitter or Facebook. So I'm going to stop going to Bookie's Bar and Grill, that's for sure. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if (laughs) after this uh, has gone absolutely viral everywhere now that there isn't a name change and they the ownership isn't bought out and there's an announcement made. But just, I'll never go there. Yeah, just, ever. A, just a quick note. The DSR connection here is that a gentleman who reads the website who participates in the DSR forums on Facebook, a guy named Patrick Foodie, which is kind of funny considering we're talking about a restaurant, <laughs> said, quote, on our Facebook page a couple hours ago, I've been a bartender for over 13 years. I've walked out of one job, and it was this one. And he's talking about bookies. Worst run bar and biggest douche ownership management. I then asked him if uh, he knew this guy, uh, this, uh, what's his name, Marco Durant. And he stated, uh, yeah, uh, this was the same guy. Said his fu- he said a friend of his was fired from bookies because he was black. That was the last straw for me before he left. I overheard the owner, this Marco Durant, talking to his girlfriend about it. So I I don't know when people will learn that uh, probably don't mix commerce with your stupid alt-right political beliefs. So that's my little spiel at the beginning of the show. And now we will get into a bigger abortion, the Detroit Lions. So – as as you know, we haven't been on for a couple couple weeks. The Lions started off the season uh, one and one, and you know the first thing I want to discuss is Jim Caldwell because we're seeing the same things out of the comatose wonder that we've seen now for two years and two games. Uh, things that demonstrated why a large portion of a fan base, not named Rochelle Riley from the Detroit Free Press, wanted Caldwell broomed when pretty much everyone in the organization, from the scouting department to the strength and conditioning people, were broomed out last year when Rod Wood took over from Tom Lewan as the team president and Bob Quinn was hired subsequently to replace Martin Mayhew was the general manager of this team. Basically, two people survived the bloodletting. One was Bill Keenest, who is the uh, chief propagandist down at uh, Ford Field. And the other was Jim Caldwell. And it made absolutely no sense. You, you have a new organization coming in. you got this guy from New England, Bob Quinn, as the general manager of the franchise now. You would think he would have wanted his own people coaching this team. Like I said, he fired almost everyone that had a pulse down there that was connected to football operations, except for the coaching staff. Now, we all have our assumptions that the reason that that occurred was because Mar- um, Martha Ford, I almost called her Martha Quinn, <laughs> a, a combination of Bob Quinn and Martha Ford, Martha Quinn, the first female VJ on MTV. But no, not Martha Quinn. 
Martha Ford. Martha Ford loved Jim Caldwell. We all know that. He's a good Christian man, uh, reads the Bible daily. And Martha Ford's enamored with Jim Caldwell. It's my belief and the belief of many at the DSR that the precondition to Bob Quinn taking this job was that you had to keep Jim Caldwell because it makes no sense otherwise. A person who was employed by the New England Patriots keeping the buffoon coach of the Indianapolis Colts during that rivalry. He had to know that this guy doesn't know when to call timeouts. He had to know this guy has no clue when it comes to clock management. And Bob Quinn had to have an understanding that on fourth down and two or three in the opponent's side of the field, that this guy was going to go conservative and punt. Some of the most important decisions that a man has to make as a football coach, college or pro, time management, when to, when to punt, when to go for it, when to use timeouts. Bob Quinn had to know that Jim Caldwell was terrible at making these on-the-fly decisions. And we know he knew because at, at the request of Bob Quinn, Jim Caldwell brought in someone to help him with these ideas, or excuse me, these decisions. And that's Randy Edsel, the former imbecile coach, head coach at the University of Maryland, who was fired this past season and replaced with uh, someone from the University of Michigan's staff. Randy Edsel was brought in to assist Jim Caldwell in deciding when to use timeouts, when to punt, when to go for it, and how to use the clock. Why you would bring in a 58-year-old reject from the collegiate ranks to do this is absolutely beyond me. It makes no sense. If anything, if you're going to hire someone to do this, and it's not the New York Times fourth down bot, it should be some 26-year-old Jewish kid from Yale or MIT or Harvard or Will Hunting from that film to do this. You don't hire a 58-year-old stuck-in-the-mud, set-in-his-ways, loser head coach from college to make these decisions. You hire a borderline genius to help Jim Caldwell. And what have we seen in two weeks? We've seen the same shit that we've seen for the last two years. Now, last week, Jim Caldwell, as we all know, was bailed out by a dumber coach in Chuck Pagano in that Indianapolis loss. Just the same way that in the last two years, Jim Caldwell was bailed out on losses by John Fox last year in Chicago and two years ago against Atlanta with Mike Smith. 
Now, we weren't on last week, so I kind of do want to, for a few moments, rehash what occurred against the Colts. Because to me, this is emblematic of of the situation we've been dealing with this guy recently, Jim Caldwell, and the fact that the media, instead of calling out Jim Caldwell last week, gave him a free pass because Chuck Pagano's st- stupidity overrode Jim Caldwell's idiocy. It was an absolute miracle that the Detroit Lions had any chance against the Colts in that game, that they didn't get the ball back with 15 or 20 seconds left and three timeouts. Instead, they got it back with 37 seconds and three timeouts. Actually, they probably should have got the ball back with about 15 seconds and two timeouts. If it weren't for the fact that Chuck Pagano, stupidly, with absolutely no defense, injury-riddled, if they're any good from in, in the first place, and this guy calls a timeout, with about a minute 15 left in the game, saving the Lions a timeout, which, by the way, Jim Caldwell, there was no indication he was going to call it. And then on that play, Caldwell gets bailed out again by a booth review on a play that was good from the get-go. And instead of the media being up in arms and being able to see that, yeah, the Lions ended up still winning that game, it was about a billion to one for Caldwell to have 37 seconds left on that clock and three timeouts. Jim Caldwell wasn't playing for a last chance to have Matthew Stafford win that game. What he was doing was trying to make Andrew Luck beat him and not give him any extra time. That's all he was doing. Everything else was just happenstance. And we had morons in the media like Bob Wojanowski defending, defending what Caldwell did. It was indefensible. It was a fireable offense. The Lions' own radio announcer in real time Dan Miller was incredulous about what was going on, about Jim Caldwell not using those timeouts. Now, keep in mind, Dan Miller only has that gig because the Lions were so irate at any criticism whatsoever from Mark Champion. Dan Miller got that job because Mark Champion was too negative about the Lions. And Dan Miller felt, well, this was the time to stick out my neck and comment on how ridiculous it was for Jim Caldwell to be saving those timeouts. But the media left Jim Caldwell off the hook. And in fact, some child, some infant named Will Birchfield, who works for CBS Radio 971's blog, making ostensibly 12-5 a year probably, writes a whole blog post saying how brilliant Caldwell was and how the Lions fans had to thank, should thank Jim Caldwell for that victory. That victory last Sunday, a week ago Sunday, happened despite Jim Caldwell. And so what happens the following week when the Lions are, what, six, six-and-a-half-point favorites over an anemic Tennessee team? 1-0, and 
no excuse in the world not to go 2 and 0 the team comes in 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 predictable fashion i've been watching it for 40 years blows a game that they had no business losing even even with 17 penalties they still had no business losing that game the guy punts on fourth and 3 from his own 39-yard line. And if we haven't been watching that for over two years, maybe we'd be a little shocked. And are you telling me Bob Quinn is a general man, excuse me, an assistant under Bill Belichick in New England? Didn't know that was coming, couldn't see that? The Lions have an easy schedule this year. But if their coach is going to give up one or two games by his own idiocy, it doesn't matter. There is absolutely no excuse for losing to the Tennessee Titans at home to play conservative, to punt, to punt from your from the opponent's 39-yard line, to punt. Last night I'm watching Philadelphia against the Bears on Monday Night Football. And Doug Peterson, the coach of the Eagles, he's up 15 points the beginning of the fourth quarter, fourth and two, fourth and goal from the two-yard line. Now, what do you think Jim Caldwell would have done in that situation? Oh, you go for the field goal because that puts you up 18. Fuck. Peterson said, fuck that. We're going for the touchdown. And they eventually scored after an offside penalty. Why do we in Detroit have to suffer from embarrassing head coaching decisions over and over? It's been going on for decades now, and we'll get to Brad Osmus a little later in the show. We all knew this was coming with Jim Caldwell. And in two games, he's two for two with absolutely asinine decisions. Why is he here? If he can't eliminate the penalties, I mean, what's he good for? We know he's horrible on anything in-game. He's an abomination. And one would have to wonder, will Bob Quinn have the autonomy this year when the season predictably goes into the toilet and they win six games? Will he be allowed to fire the comatose one this year? I'm dubious. I don't know. I can already see the excuses. Ziggy Ans is hurt. Abdul is hurt. They have an injury-plagued season. Oh, Martha Ford. Well, we can't get rid of him. He didn't have a fair shot. How hard is it to hire a competent football coach? I wasn't asking for much. I wasn't even asking for them to go outside the organization. They could have promoted Terrell Austin. He couldn't be worse than this dummy. As I've stated before, bring a fucking mainframe out to the sideline and let the fourth down bot coach this team. From the New York Times.
So before the game on Sunday, the first uh, home game of the season, it was the first home game for WJR Radio as they took over the rights from 97-1 this past offseason. So 760 gets the Lions rights. And they wanted to do something, I guess, similar to what Ernie Harwell used to do before the uh, Major League Baseball season started with the Tigers. You might remember whenever the Grapefruit League opener occurred for Detroit's baseball team, Ernie Harwell would read a poem uh, called The Voice of the Turtle. And I'll uh, read that to you. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. And with that, the Tigers would start their their uh, radio broadcasts in spring training. What's that, about one, two, three, four, five lines? So WJR had the brilliant idea to bring in Detroit Lions vendor, Matthew Stafford's best friend, fabulous columnist, novella writer, Mitch Album to do something similar to what Ernie did with the Tigers. Except for instead of that being, you know, just a few lines, Mitch Album went on for three minutes. And I've got this audio, and I just want to know how far we can go through this audio before you people throw up and vomit, if you didn't hear it. I'm warning you people with peace and love right now. Get out your vomit bags Get out a trash can. Go to take your iPhone or Galaxy Note 7 if it already hasn't started a fire in your house. If you're listening to this on the Podcast Detroit app, go to the toilet, kneel down at the porcelain bowl because you are going to probably projectile vomit by listening to this. Every autumn, the leaves fall, the air turns crisp, and fans of the Detroit Lions lift up in their annual rite of passage. Radios turn on. Day for the game. Let's go down. Tailgaters drive, barbecues ignite, the Honolulu blue shirts come out of the drawers, and hope springs eternal. Detroit, in its heart, is a football town. It fits our psyche. It's tough and steely and rough around the edges. It requires teamwork and sacrifice. And it hurts and it's grimy and dirty, but it's fueled by love. The way we are, the way our city is. So we are a football town at our core, but one that's been waiting so long for a champion, sometimes it feels like a long, deep sleep. And, and, and I feel like going into a long, deep sleep after slitting my wrists. And I'm getting sleepy. Yeah. Up on Sundays. What is that? I don't know. What was that? It sounded like swashbuckling <laughs> pirates. <laughs> there is nothing sleepy about... That's not English. No, it sounds like the people on the barricade... At Les Mis. It's just random (laughs) screaming. Off time on Sunday. What is that? That's not words. Like, I play The Sims, 
at Sims 4 or whatever, and they don't have words. They just have like, and it sounds, and that's what that is. That's not words. Okay. They're in traditional tribes, the familiar friends, the beer buddies, the family, the gang from work. We cram around TVs. We hit the radio in our cars. We fill the seats at Ford Field, and we throw everything we have into it. Every pass, every run delights us or infuriates us. Every play call that works, every play call that doesn't. We howl or growl or scream or steam. We see in the Lions every heroic and every failure of the franchise. Every year and every player who ever marched in the Lions parade over the decades. We see Bobby and Lem and Billy and Charlie and Joe and... At this point, I would choose to read any of his books. <laughs> At this point, I choose to be Maury, laying in a bed, dying. <laughs> Poor Maury. Poor Maury. <laughs> Train and Alex and Barry and Herman and Chris and Calvin and Sue and Matthew, the latest captain of our ship of dreams. The latest captain who gave me a seven-figure donation to my charity and who I write glowing columns about to this day <laughs> with no disclaimer whatsoever. start the season the way the players start the season believing it can happen hoping maybe against hope that this is the year it all comes together other cities have enjoyed it other cities have surprised and won it can happen right so we cheer and we scream and we jump and we throw ourselves around the room because we care we throw ourselves around the room (laughs) i've literally not seen anybody do that i was at the lions game and on sunday Unfortunately, and I didn't see anybody throwing themselves anywhere. Yeah, did you see Theo singing? You can answer that question. That's not leading at no, all. No, I didn't because that oh. was in like seats at the corner of like oh. nosebleed, and they sing, looked though. like ants. You heard him though, so right? I don't know. I was him? wasted. I drank. believe it can happen here. It will happen here. It has to happen here, right? And maybe, maybe. This is the year. This is football season in Detroit. This is what it means to be a Lions fan. You remember everything. The leaves fall. The air turns crisp. And here we go. Can you imagine someone... Who put that audio together? Like, he has this calm voice. Like, Mitch Album should have, like, an audio book for people that can't sleep and have insomnia because his voice would put me to sleep completely. So, Well, hopefully it didn't put you people to sleep. So the Lions are one and one They go to Green Bay this week. Um, <laughs> nothing has changed, and nothing will change. Uh, it, it just... Absolutely ridiculous that this guy was brought back, and we had a chance for a fresh start, and we didn't get it. And I don't know. I don't know what else to say about this horrible franchise that I know you people are still, a lot of you, live and die with this team, but I I just don't know how you can do it anymore. And I'm glad that I am on the other side now, gleefully rooting for this team to lose. 
I will come back if they fire Caldwell and Keenest. I, I just don't see that happening until Martha Ford's gone and this team is sold. When we come back, we will switch gears to a much brighter subject, the Detroit Tigers. We'll be back after this. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back on the DSR podcast. Jeff Moss, by myself this week. Still in discussions about the TV show production-wise. We had a meeting last week. Uh, got a phone call to someone else today. Still working on that. That's still going to happen, but it's going to be probably another couple weeks before. We actually have had discussions with the production people that we met last week of kind of doing a Howard Stern Mike and Mike type of deal where we might just have the cameras come in here. Maybe instead of on Tuesday, we do the show on Thursday and kind of like tailor it to a TV show and kind of do a, I don't know, uh, slash podcast slash TV show just doing it here. I don't know if we're going to do that or not. If we're going to do it from a studio, we're still trying to figure out the best way to go about that. One thing I wanted to talk about the Lions before we get on to the Tigers. Uh, so last week, this was pretty funny. I don't know if you watched James Corden's show. No. Yeah. You ever see that carpool karaoke thing he does? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like he had uh, Lady that, Gaga, I think. Is that the guy um, that had like Adele in there too? Yeah, Adele. Okay. Yeah, I saw it. I think he had Hillary, not Hillary, who was it, Michelle, one of the, I don't know, politicians. Probably not Hillary. I feel yeah. like she can't sing or no, dance no, or anything, so probably. No. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't, but he had some politician on some, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. But they get in a car and they start singing some song and doing some karaoke. Well, you know what? I think it was Michelle Obama. I think Michelle he did Obama? have her on there. Is yeah. that who it was? Yeah. I thought so. So... The Lions had the brilliant idea to copy carpool karaoke, and, I, and I'm not sh- I'm not making this up, even though you can't find it on the internet, which we'll get into in a second. But Tori Petrie, who is the Lions, she's she's in charge of guess of video for the internet for their website. Decides it'd be a brilliant idea to use to use her journalism degree to do carpool karaoke with the Lions punter Sam Martin. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a waste of schooling. So this happened like last Tuesday morning. So we were supposed to do the podcast before I had a family medical emergency. So I told uh, BCAV, our person who's in charge of ripping and pulling all the audio and video on the show, I said I, I wanted this carpool karaoke of. Tori Petri and Sam Martin, so I could play it on the show last Tuesday. They were doing like some Backstreet Boys or In Sync or mm. New Kids on the Block, something in that genre. They were sing- boy band, crap. yeah, boy band shit. Yeah, and they were singing it, and it was absolutely embarrassing for Sam Martin to do. Uh, I'm pretty sure the University of Florida rescinded Tori Petrie's journalism degree while watching this. And then the show didn't occur because I got a call about 1 o'clock last Tuesday that my grandma wasn't doing well, so I had to go see her. Uh, and BCAV figured, oh, well, we won't need this for another few days because the podcast won't be for another week now. And he would get to it at some point, 
and burn the audio so we could play it. If that Mitch album <laughs> shit wasn't bad enough, we were going to have Sam Martin and uh, Tori Petri singing, I believe, the Backstreet Boys. And then a couple days after, before Beef Cab could do it, the video got pulled from the Lions website. Now, there's only two possible reasons the Lions took that down. One, they were humiliated by the fact that their multimedia producer and their punter were embarrassing himself in that fashion, but we know that franchise has no shame, so that can't be it. The only other explanation is that James Corden and CBS and Worldwide Pants, who own that show, have a copyright on Carpool Karaoke and ordered the Lions to pull it off the the internet. And I think that's what probably happened. It was it was so ridiculous. They didn't even like call it something else. She called it Carpool Karaoke. It wasn't even like they tried to distance themselves from copyright infringement whatsoever. So that's gone, and unfortunately, we can't play that. I, I've been trying to find the cachet version. I've been putting out feelers to anyone who might have recorded it, but we might never be able to get that wonderful video audio of Sam Martin embarrassing himself worse than that punt at the end of the Dallas Cowboy playoff game from two years ago. So that's the Lions discussion. Now we go to the Tigers where I really need an intervention at this point. Because how I haven't given up on this team with 13 games to go is absolutely beyond me. And it's to the point where not only did I actually watch the Tigers on Sunday after they got massacred in embarrassing fashion on Friday night against the Cleveland Indians, humiliated in sloppy fashion on Saturday with Justin Verlander spinning an almost no-hitter. He gave one hit, I think, in seven innings. Carlos Carrasco gets hurt on, I think, the second pitch of the game. Ian Kinsler hits a ball back up the middle, hits his hand, and... Carlos Carrasco, one of the better pitchers for the Cleveland Indians, suffers the same injury that J.D. Martinez had in Kansas City when he ran into the right field wall. Carlos Carrasco out for the year, and the Cleveland Indians go to a bullpen commit by committee for the rest of that game. And the Tigers score a grand total of zero runs, lose one nothing in extra innings. And maybe, potentially, one of the worst non-playoff, non-play-in games that we've witnessed in Detroit in a long time. Because not only was that game important to keep any semblance of hope in chasing the Indians down in the American League Central, the Toronto Blue Jays and Baltimore Orioles seem intent on keeping the Tigers and the Mariners and the Yankees and the Astros on life support in the wild card chase. Tigers can win that game with Justin Verlander pitching a one-hitter against, I believe, eight or nine Cleveland Indian pitchers 
And we're talking about being, what, one and a half games out of the wild card right now? With an advantageous schedule coming up over the next 13 games? Quite possibly the Detroit Tigers do not have another game this season against a team that gives two shits about winning. They have three games against Minnesota this week. They come, uh, then they go to Kansas City. They play at home against, excuse me, they play against Kansas City. They have games against the Indians next week. And the Indians by then probably will have the AL Central wrapped up. They're seven games up. So the Indians, who are probably just going to try to stay healthy for the remainder of the year now that they're down Carrasco, Michael Brantley, um, they're starting pitching. They basically are talking about going down to a three, three-man three rotation in the playoffs because they're so banged up and they've got bad options. After, you know, Kluber and, uh, you know, so they... Instead of and they're not they, they don't plan on starting Buck their Buck Farmer or their Mike Pelfrey in the playoffs. They're planning on just going three guys. So the Tigers have those games against Cleveland. And then they end the season against Atlanta, the Braves, who have been eliminated since I think May 15th from postseason contention. Meanwhile, the teams that they're chasing Toronto. They're in Seattle currently. And last night, this is what I wanted was going to get to. Last night, the Tigers don't play. So Moss has a day off, right? Joff Mess? Don't have to watch anything? I'm staying up to one fucking o'clock in the morning watching the MLB app, watching the Mariners play the Blue Jays. Someone fucking come in here, slap me upside the head, and have an intervention and get me a buy me a life. What what am I watching that for? But these teams, Baltimore's in Boston for three more games, getting their probably their asses handed to them. The, these teams are all playing against each other, beating each other up. While the Tigers, like I said, might not have another game this year against a team that cares. They're waiting to go to Aruba, Bermuda. Dominican Republic, wherever they want a vacation the minute the season ends. And do I have any hope that the Tigers against these teams who have, like I said, nothing to play for, can put I don't know, a 10-3 run up together? 11-2? At worst, 9-4, which maybe gets you in the playoffs, or two and a half games back right now as we speak of Boston and Baltimore? Excuse me, Baltimore and Toronto? How can you have any hope for this team when I read you the lineup tonight? Because Ian Kinsler is going through brain damage protocol. He can't play tonight. Victor Martinez is out this evening, probably because he's got absolutely no cartilage left in either of his knee. And the guy's been a corpse now for five weeks. I was hoping he'd get moved back in the order and maybe Justin Upton and J.D. Martinez would get bumped up one spot. But Victor's just out completely, which is no big loss. 
Tonight's lineup, Maben leading off, Iglesias betting second, a guy with a sub-300 on-base percentage. Once again, batting second in this lineup. Because why wouldn't you want a game to end with Jose Iglesias up instead of Miguel Cabrera or J.D. Martinez? This guy still has not learned that the only important thing when it comes to lineup construction is getting your best hitters at the top of the order. Today, he's got Cameron Maben, who's in a slump because he's got a busted-up thumb, and Jose Iglesias, a guy with a two ninety seven on-base percentage, or where the fuck it is, batting 1-2 in this lineup. Then you've got Miggy, then you got J.D., then you got the red-hot Upton. James McCann is DHing. James McCann. Jacoby Jones playing third. Okay. They're facing a lefty. Makes a little sense. Saltalamakia. Jared Saltalamakia is catching tonight. I don't think Jared Saltalamakia has a hit since July. There's a third catcher on the roster. Play him. How much worse can he be? Play Jake Taylor for all I care. Lance Parrish. Matt Noakes. Jared Saltalamakia in a must-win game. These are must-win games now. They've got to win all of these games. They've got Buck Farmer starting tomorrow. Buck Farmer. Are you kidding me? Andrew Romine batting ninth. That that lineup has got one run written all over it, and that might be being generous. And then Buck Farmer starting tomorrow. I would announce that tomorrow starting is Blaine Hardy, and the second inning is Annabelle Sanchez, and the third inning is Shane Green. I mean, do what the Indians did on Saturday when they shut your team out. Maybe, just maybe, the element of surprise or not being able to see a guy through a lineup twice will work. It's worked on us many times this year. How many times have we seen bullpen by committee, teams in disarray, like uh, the day that Chris Sale couldn't start for the Chicago White Sox about a month ago because he took a knife to all of his teammates' jerseys because he didn't want to wear the 1976 throwback. Yes, that actually happened, Jessica. Really? Yeah. The starting pitcher, who's oh their ace, God. who's their best player, said he didn't want to wear the jersey because it was uncomfortable. If you saw this thing, it's ugly as hell and looks uncomfortable. So he took a knife to all his teammates' jerseys and his own so they wouldn't have to wear them. And then they said, well, you're not pitching today and you're suspended. And the Tigers lost that game. I mean, just go back at all of these games that they've lost this year. When they when they finish one game out of the playoffs, because this imbecile manager has absolutely no urgency. And I could spend the next the rest of the show wondering why Tyler Collins is still playing and pinch hitting instead of Steven Moya, when Steven Moya at every level this season has hit exponentially better than Tyler Collins. In Toledo, 
Stephen Moya had an OPS, I think, 250 points higher than Tyler Collins. In the major leagues, Stephen Moya has an OPS 150 points higher than Tyler Collins. Now, we all know that Edward Scissorhands is a better outfielder than Stephen Moya. But we're talking about pinch hitting only. Bringing in Stephen Moya to do one thing, which he's obviously better at Tyler Collins at, and that's hitting a baseball. But no. And why does Brad Ausmus say that he won't pinch hit Moya over Collins? Because we're going to go with the horses that got us here. Where have they got us, Brad? We're two and a half games out of a one-game play-in. Seven games behind the Cleveland Indians. That's where we are. That's where Tyler Collins has got us. Needing to win nine or ten of the last 13 games, probably just to have a one-game play-in. That's where we are. That's where, that's where Tyler Collins has got us with his 670 OPS. With his negative .70 war. That's where we are with Tyler Collins. And Jessica is now moving my microphone back. I told her I didn't think I'd be yelling today because Jasper's not here. I didn't have anyone to yell at, but then I forgot that I was going to be talking about the Lions and the Tigers. (laughs) The other day I posted the attendance at Comerica Park going back to 2012. Since 2012... The Tigers are down 19% attendance-wise at Comerica Park. They were up to about 38,000, 37,000. They're down to like 31,000. If the fact that Brad Ausmus, who, by the way, sacrificed Bunning the other night with a runner on second and nobody out, guy already in running, runner in scoring position with Andrew Romine, on deck, decides to sacrifice Bunt Jose Iglesias in a 0-0 game. If you're not going to fire Brad Ausmus because he's not on the same page as the front office, supposedly, who are into advanced metrics, if you're not going to fire him for that reason... Chris Illich, look at your attendance numbers. And we know with a $200 million payroll and not a lot of guys coming off that this year, we're not going to be spending any money in free agency. Hell, we're going to be praying in about a month or so that we just keep the status quo, that we don't start dumping guys to cut into the budget because instead of thirty six or 37,000 asses in the seats this year, we're averaging about 31,000. So as bad as this season, as torturous as it's been up to this point, now when they get eliminated probably in the next week, we're going to have to sit biting our nails, worrying that they're going to start making moves to gut salary. But hopefully that doesn't happen. And if it doesn't happen, nobody's coming in. This is going to be basically the same team next year, you would think, if there isn't a mandate from Chris Illich to slash the budget. So where is the enthusiasm 
going to come this offseason. There isn't going to be hundreds of millions of dollars of free agent money being spent like it was this past offseason when we brought in Jordan Zimmerman and we brought in Justin Upton at big, big dollar, multi-year contracts. That's not going to happen. Now, you can say that they haven't, those the two free agency signs haven't panned out just exactly like the Tigers wanted, or we did, but they were still big splashes in the free agent market. That ain't happening this year. It's just not. This is the team, hopefully, going forward. So where is the enthusiasm going to come? This fan base has thrown their hands up at Brad Ausmus. As I said on Twitter the other day, where is his constituency at this point? The Leland apologists don't like Brad Ausmus. And people like me, who believe in mathematics and advanced metrics, they're not on board with Brad Ausmus in batting Jose Iglesias second, bunting with a runner on second and nobody out, the way he's treated his bullpen up until the last week, his lack of urgency. His constituency, basically at this point, are the people who go to Comerica Park and just don't care if the Tigers win or lose. The people who think that this run over the last decade has been great. That's his only... That's the only group of supporters he still has left. That and the women who think he's attractive. That's it. So hopefully, the one good thing that comes out of this season is the Tigers don't pick up the team option this offseason and they go get a new manager. And... One can only hope that Mike Illich has no decision in this. They had a team photo last week. He didn't show up. I've been reporting, based on my sources, that he's been in very poor health this whole summer. Tony Paul from the Detroit News saw him in a wheelchair at a Tiger game recently. Hopefully, the general manager that Mike Illich and Chris Illich gave a five-year contract to last August is the man who can make the decision who the next manager is going to be. Because of everything that we're led to believe by Al Avila and his hirings of Jay Sartori from Apple and his promotion of Sam Menzen to vice president of baseball operations, that he wants someone on the field like an A.J. Hinch who believes in the things that I believe in. There's three criteria for a manager that I care about. That's it. One, lineup construction. Knowing that you shouldn't put up a guy with a busted thumb and a sub-300 on-base percentage, 1-2 in a batting order in a must-win game in Minnesota. If it was me, fuck, I'd have J.D. Martinez leading off, Miggy batting second, Upton batting third. I'd just get my best guys up there. Give myself the best chance to have those guys have the most at bat. That's all. Because after that first run through the lineup, there's no guarantee anyway who's leading off an inning or who's coming up in situations with runners on base and scoring position, if that does occur at all during the game. Just get your best guys, like the Blue Jays, like the Orioles, like other teams, at the front of that order and take your chances. 
That's all that matters. So that's the first thing that I want a manager to comprehend going forward. Second, never sacrifice bunt ever until the ninth inning when you need one run. And in, not even when the guy's on first. Sec, on second, nobody out. Where a sacrifice or a ball grounded to the left or right of the shortstop or second baseman where they can't get a guy out at home on a bang-bang play will score a run. That's it. Never sacrifice bunt ever. Ever, 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 except for in .0001% of situations. So no, I don't want a Terry Francona. You can save your Terry Francona. Did you watch that series this week? How many times is that guy bunting in the second and third inning? Or Paul Molitor. Paul Molitor last Thursday, I believe, in the afternoon game? Is bunting against Mike Pelfrey in the second inning when Mike Pelfrey can't get anybody out. He's giving free outs in the second inning against Mike Pelfrey. So that's number two. A guy who never sacrificed bunts. And number one is line of construction. Three is using your bullpen appropriately. Using high leverage guys in high leverage situations and adding the caveat that when you're down run, run in the 7th or 8th inning, that's still a high leverage situation. Not bringing in Mark Lowe. Amazingly, Terry Francona, a guy who's bunting in the 2nd inning of American League games, can comprehend high-leverage bullpen situations. He does get that. That's why Andrew Miller is being used the way he is. Those are the three things I care about. And there's only two guys I know guaranteed. A, because they've told me personally on social media, or because B, they've mentioned it in the press. There's only two guys I 100% know will manage a team the way I want regarding those three issues. And that's Gabe Kapler and Manny Acta. I will be continuing to beat this drum over and over again until the next manager is hired. You want an unknown? Ryan Schilling the other day is talking about San Francisco's bench coach, Wotus. The guy's been their bench coach since 1999. We have no clue how Wotus is going to manage a team. He's spent 17 years as a number two. And San Francisco ain't exactly the most advanced metric team around. So I question how he would manage a team. I don't want another unknown like Brad Osmus. We had no clue what we were getting. Like It was like uh, Ronald Reagan appointing some of the Supreme Court justices that he did like Sandra Day O'Connor, and not knowing where they stood on abortion. I don't want that again. We don't need that. We need. I want Gabe Kapler, second, Maniac, the one. We know how these guys think. We know how they're going to manage a team. This ain't rocket science. Joe Madden is a genius now because he's managing the Chicago Cubs because they have the best team in baseball. 
He didn't look like a genius the last year or so in Tampa. Players are the number one thing. You need the players. But so I don't suffer from a bleeding ulcer or have a heart attack and die watching this franchise, please give me a manager who will understand high-leverage bullpen, lineup construction, and never sacrifice Bunny except for in maybe one or two situations. It's all I want. It's all I'm asking for. I just, if they miss, I mean, first of all, they make the play. He should be gone regardless. Brad Ausmus should be gone regardless. I don't care if they squeak into a one-game play. I don't give a shit. I don't care if they, well, I don't care if they win the World Series. I think he should be gone. Not that's going to happen. Give me Manny Acta, and I know Gabe Kapler is probably too similar for the fan base to swallow after Brad Ausmus. Bringing another good-looking Jewish guy who with very little to none managerial experience. But he was a finalist for the Dodgers job, and we know where he stands on the big issues. That's it. Can I get one coach or manager in my lifetime who can make these simple decisions? These aren't hard. Whether it's Caldwell or Austin, these aren't. This isn't tough. Punting from your opponent's thirty-nine yard line on fourth and three. Bunting when you're having giving up free outs with Andrew Romine on the on deck circle. Continually throwing Tyler Collins out there instead of Stephen Moya. All you have to do is look at the stats. All you have to do is look at the box scores. All you have to do is look at past performance. This stuff isn't even outside the box. So we've got 13 days left of this misery, and we'll see how it plays out. For some reason, I still think there's a chance. I I don't know why. But every time we've buried this team, they usually go on a seven or eight game run. Do they have one more in them without Kinsler for how long? With Victor Martinez uh, over the last month being the Victor Martinez we had last season. Obviously, he's not healthy. But does that that precipitate a move by Brad Ausmus? to move J.D. ahead of him. How many times have we seen Victor Martinez come up in key situations over the last week where he just meekly grounds out to the right side of the infield, playing right into the shift, hitting right into the shift? Like, at some point, Victor, maybe try to go to the opposite way when they're putting the shift on you, and you've got absolutely no power anyway. So why does it even matter if you pull the ball? Maybe try once in a while to, to beat the shift, but no. And not only does Victor not try to beat the shift, secondly, Brad Ausmus refuses to move him down. You've got Justin Upton. You've been waiting for this for five months. You've waited for this Justin Upton streak for five months. And when it occurs, do you move him up a little? No. Why would you do that? 
just horrible. This season, this season will end if it does with this team in the playoffs. There's no reason. It's not like they had to win 94 or 95 games to get into the playoffs. 88 or 89 is probably going to do it. And with a $200 million payroll, and with Fulmer giving you what he gave you, what Norris has given you in the last six weeks, what Boyd's given you for most of the year, you can talk about all the injuries all you want. I don't see Michael Brantley, the Clevelandians, crying over that. They lost their best offensive player for the entire year, basically. All right, we're going to take another break. When we come back, got a couple odds and ends to talk about. I've got a surprise for you, people out there, for Jessica. And then we'll end the show probably a little early tonight because I don't know how long can you people listen to me ranting and raving without a uh, without a uh, co-host or sidekick or someone to scream at. We'll be back after this. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back on the last segment of the DSR podcast for Tuesday, September 20th. There's one other thing I wanted to talk about the Tigers real quick. It was about that Kinsler issue on Sunday, which he's not playing tonight. Obviously, there's an issue uh, with a uh, concussion brain brain injury, as I like to call it. So Kinsler gets hit in the head with a ball, stays in the game, does not come out until he gets ejected by, I think, the first base umpire because the umpire thought he was talking to him and he was actually moving Miggy over. So Kinsler gets ejected probably because his brain was scrambled like eggs. And he's probably speaking gibberish and the umpire didn't understand what he was talking about. I thought he was talking to him and he threw him out. Ian Kinsler did not leave that game Sunday because Brad Osmus or... The trainer training staff took him out because he got hit in the head with a baseball at 90-some miles per hour. He didn't come out till he was wrongfully ejected for a miscommunication. And now, two days later, he's not playing. So I'd like to know where the brain injury protocol in Major League Baseball is, that this is allowed to occur. That's absolutely ridiculous. And that should not be happening in 2016. So I wanted to add that before we go on to a couple odds and ends to end the show. So the other day I had the brilliant idea as a prelude to the DSR's worst media personality tournament, which happens every year between the Super Bowl and the men's NCAA tournament. Uh, the the uh, defending champion, of course, is Drew Sharp. We do this every year now. So I figured a way to build up anticipation for the tourney and uh, a way to get some content on the website would be to every month leading up now to the tournament in early February is release a power rankings of the worst 25 Detroit sports media personalities in town. And so a few of us at the DSR, people who are uh, contributors to the website, all turned in their ballots. 
and we came up with the poll, and I posted that on, uh, I think, Sunday. The one person I would want to single out and discuss on today's show is Channel 7 fanboy simpleton talking head sports anchor Brad Galley. I'm hoping that this absolute child makes a run deep into this tournament this year. Now, really, I don't think we've ever had a anchor make any kind of waves in this tournament because basically, you know, what's Brad Galley do? He sits there on the 11 o'clock news till about 11.25, and then they put him on two and a half minutes to give the highlights. So how offensive can that be? Well, if you've ever read his Twitter account, you would know why this guy ended up fifth in the rankings that we debuted for September. Only four people were deemed worse than Brad Galley, and it's because of his infantile Twitter account. Now, keep in mind, this is a guy who, I don't know how old he is now, he basically got the job at WXYZ out of college. I believe he's in his mid-20s. Although I've made the joke on in that article that I actually think he is living out a the, the movie Big, that it's really an 11-year-old or 12-year-old, <clears throat> and he made a uh, wish to be big to Zoltar. Because how else can you explain the following tweet? And I quote, At a wedding, listening to a speech, had a thought. How cool is it going to be for the Rock's kids to give a toast? Dad, you're my rock. Um, First of all, A, who has that thought? And then B, who is stupid enough to go and tweet that out to your 8,000 followers? Is he a stoner? That would make sense. No, 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 no. I can't imagine oh. that guy's ever done an illicit drug in his life. Well, then I don't know. I can't. Have you ever seen him? No. He's like something out of a Frank Capra movie. I, I It's... It's incomprehensible. This is his. This is his idea of culture. Okay. Okay. Taylor Swift. What? Jimmy Fallon. Okay. Justin Timberlake. I mean, this is wow. an adult. Wow. This is an adult. I, I'm guessing that it would have sounded like you were talking. He's married. Like about he's a married. I'm guessing over his bed, he still has Tiger Beat magazine covers. Aww. Isn't that cute? <laughs> if you if you go to Twitter and do a search, yeah, it would be cute if he was a fourteen year old girl. I'm being facetious. I know Calm you are. <laughs> I know, but you put it on a T. What do you think? I'm not going to hit that out of the park. No, obviously. Hmm. If you go and do a Twitter search of at Brad Galley and you type in the two words Harry and Potter, oh, he's one of those people. Listen, I did it. And then I print control P. I was going to print out all of his Harry Potter tweets last week to read them on the show. <laughs> there was 10 pages. Really? Wow. I can't afford the HP ink to print out all of his <laughs> Harry Potter tweets. 
This is another tweet that I posted in the article. Ariana Grande. What grown man's tweeting about Ariana Grande in the first place? But we'll go on. Ariana Grande taking her latest single to at Jimmy Fallon for a Snapchat video release. Crazy effective. At Fallon tonight is the epicenter of fun. If you are an adult male under the age of 55 and that you think that Jimmy Fallon is the epicenter of fun, please drive into traffic immediately. (laughs) Are you kidding? Jimmy Fallon is the biggest embarrassment in the world. He sort of looks like a grown-up Fred Savage. Thanks a lot. That's what I used to be said. That's what people used to say about me in high school. Oh. I looked like Fred Savage. Oh. They used to ask me where, where Winnie Cooper was. I'm just going to meet my mic now. That's all right. You can keep insulting me. That's fine. <laughs> I need someone here to... I didn't say that about you. I said it about him. Can so you, someone can you else start yelling? You. Can you start yelling, shut the fuck up at me? <laughs> Please? Um, shut the fuck up, Jeff. Well, you have to give me a reason. I just got a uh, funny message from my sister. Yeah. Maybe I should have named the dog DeAndre Levy instead of Miggy. <laughs> she got a puppy. The freaking dog has a parasite. That'd be funny. You should name the dog <laughs> Levy. That'd be awesome. That's actually a good name. Levy's actually kind of a good name. Uh, that just interrupted my rant. I don't know why my sister's texting me during my show. but um, So, yeah, Brad Galley. Uh, keep an eye on him when the tournament uh, bracket. This guy is borderline one seed. I'll give you the top 10 if, in case you, you're just listening to the show and you didn't read the article. I'll give you the top 10 worst uh, media personalities. Number 10, Rob Parker. Number 9, Pat Caputo. Number 8, Bob Wojanowski. Number 7, Helene Scarf James. Number 6, Doug Karsh. Uh, mainly on the backs of the uh, his hockey takes where he said that the Red Wings should try to trade for Connor McDavid this offseason because the Oilers just would just deal him for anything because they want some money back in return. Uh, five, the character from a Frank Capra movie. Number four, Lynn Henning. Number three, Officer Barbara Brady McCoskey. Number two, the virginal manatee, Scott Anderson. And number one, Anthony Fennick. So that's that. Uh, come to the, you know, sometime late October, we'll take another poll and see where we're at. But it'll assist us in keeping track of all this stuff. So I don't have to spend 24 hours straight without sleep coming up with a bracket in early February. So that'll work out well. So we got some clips to finish the show out with. If anyone reads the website, I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that I was on the Howard Stern show yesterday. I called in. If uh, you listen, watch the Emmys on Sunday night, uh, the host, Jimmy Kimmel, Super fan of the Howard Stern show. Ended the program with a hit him with the Hine reset. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I thought about you. I was like, hmm. Oh, you did see that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd hope you'd think about me considering well, yeah. I was the uh, I'm ho- the whole reason Jimmy Kimmel said that <laughs> on the show. That's so, what I so what happened was, yeah. So what happened was on uh, Sunday night after Jimmy Kimmel said hit him with the Hine. John Hine, uh, former U of M student, creator of the phrase Jump the Shark, and host of the wrap-up show on Howard Stern Station, 
the, the, the whole thing is hit him with the hind, of course, is a recall to the fact that John Hine has very low energy. So hit him with the hind is just ironic. It's just a, kind of making goofing on Hine. And Hine hates it. Hine despises the, the phrase and hates that it's become popular. Jason Kaplan, Nick Rucker from the Stern Show have promoted it, mostly Kaplan. When I said to Ryan Schilling two months ago on his show, hit him with the hind, Kaplan gave that to J.D. Harmeyer, who is the conduit to Howard Stern for all media clips. And because J.D. and Hine are best buddies, J.D. rejected the clip and refused to give it to Howard. Jason, very desirous of this going viral, and because I was the only person at that point who had ever said, hit him with the hind, outside of the Stern Show family, went above JD, went to Howard and said, I think you should play this clip. And Howard decided to play it, and he played it on the air, and we had that on this show, and we talked about it. So after the hit him with the hind on the Emmys, John Hine thanked thanked Jimmy Kimmel on Twitter for mentioning it. Said, I speak your name, which is an Oprah Winfrey reset that only Stern fan people, fans, super fans would know. So I called Hine out on Twitter and said, oh, now you like it? Because the whole reason that John Hine supposedly was mad is because this thing went viral. And that Jason was getting credit, Jason Kaplan, for having the next Baba Booey. So you'd think John Hyatt would be upset that this was mentioned on the Emmys because Jason was getting his way. This thing got all the way to one of the most watched shows of the year and talked about. But no. And that's why I played Starfuckers by Nine Inch Nails earlier today because I called John Hine a starfucker. So I told Jason Kaplan on Sunday night that I was going to call in the show. I called in first thing on Monday morning, and I got through. And we will play that clip right now in case you haven't heard it. But here is uh, my call into the Stern Show. What? that a week ago John said if he could snap his fingers and make it all go away he would I know Jeff in Miami you're on the air yeah for some reason the call screener I don't know who it was but thought I was Jeff from Miami uh, which Mm -hmm. I was kind of confused I didn't know if if Howard was going to me or not I thought I heard that little (laughs) but I wasn't sure because I clearly said I was Jeff from Detroit that's the whole that's the whole point of the call I'm Jeff from Detroit I'm the guy who said it on the air hello hi Actually, it's Jeff from Detroit. I'm actually the guy who, on my weekly, weekly uh, radio segment up here, was the first person to say hit him with the hind. Mm-hmm. And I want to call out John here. Uh, he, he's a huge hypocrite, and he's a star fucker. The reason <laughs> this is different is because it was Jimmy Kimmel at the Emmys. And he goes out and says, I speak your name, Jimmy Kimmel, after you know this whole 
controversy. And I, I want to ask you, Howard, if that clip of mine never gets to you because J.D. protects his boyfriend, John, do you think this takes off if, if J.D. would have kept it quiet and never got to you? Probably not. Uh, you're right. Uh, J.D. has to put the show before his uh, love affair with John Hine. Uh, absolutely. J.D. always lets his emotions yeah. lead. J- so there you have the king of all media, the number one entertainer in the world, uh, giving me credit for the fact that this thing has gone and caught on like wildfire. So you, when you were sitting in bed watching the Emmys the other night, right, and you heard him say, hit him with the hind, yeah. that was because of me. Well, yeah, I my like, claim to fame. That, that will go. That will go on my tombstone. He gets befuddled. <laughs> I'm going to bury this. I uh, hit him with the hind. Oh there. no, it's about John. It's about John. He's my born friend. <laughs> I got that clip back with a big rejected from JD. Right. Yeah, you did, right? Yeah, big reject. I said, I'm going over your head. I don't know. I believe in this. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to this thing. It would never. If a JD had had his way, this never happens. It never. Gets yeah, you know, JD, where's your fucking loyalty to the show? That's a good point. That, uh, one douchebag who sounds like the nicest guy. This one douchebag. What is, I don't even understand. This. Do you, can you figure out what he's trying to say? This one douchebag who sounds no, like the nicest guy? I think guy? he's just nervous and he's trying to insult you and he's failing epically. <laughs> because I don't sound like a nice guy. The douchebag part I get. The sounding like sarcasm. A, yeah, sounding like a nice uh, guy. It was one douchebag in Detroit saying it. It wasn't a whole big thing. Jason made it seem like it was the new Baba Booey, and that kind of is. Why am I a douchebag? Well, everything has to start somewhere, JD. All I wanted was to get the clip to Howard to hear it. That's all I wanted. It, it, it wasn't like an outside source. All of a sudden, it was some. Local you tried guy. to bury it, but <laughs> it you fan. It was a fan, like a super fan in Detroit saying it. It was like you know, I, it was just. It didn't seem worthy, and now it's a thing, and I'm pulling them all the time. So but why not? Yourself. But why not admit that you tried to bury the hit him with the hind phenomenon? Because even when we recorded, it, it, remember when we? Wait a second, hold on. Remember when we recorded that bit, and you wouldn't say hit him with the hind? You were the only one. <laughs> Well, that was all, I mean, that's lately, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a phenomenon at the time. It was literally one guy. Yeah, that's why the point. you say hit him in with the hind in a, in a bit? Well, that was recently, and I, it's just not something I care to say. You're just, you know what? You're just a mess back there. There's a lot of jealousy going on. A lot of jealousy where? So, okay, so there's I'm, be, I'm being called a douchebag by JD. Then later in the uh, in the show... John Hine decides to start calling me names. Because I'm never swimming during this conversation. <laughs> but to this asshole on the phone who, you know, the star asshole. asshole. What did he do? Oh, he yeah. said, oh, I'm a star fucker and this oh, and that. Uh-huh. Okay. I tweeted it to Jimmy, I speak your name, because it was another Stern Show reference, and I was just saying, thanks. And as I said earlier, to me, it's not about the phrase. It's about the intent. And I think Jimmy's intent was... Cool. I think Jason's. You don't think so that itself. Jimmy takes glee in the fact that it annoys you? Yeah, uh, I think I think a little bit. So I'm an asshole. Uh, I was going to say to John Hind if I if Howard would I, I didn't want to interrupt because it was a great conversation. I I tried to get him one time to say something, and then when I didn't, I just gave up. But I, if he thinks I'm an asshole, wait until Mihir Bahatnagar goes up to his daughter. They both go to U of M. Oh, God. And he yells, hit him with the hind at a sorority party in the next week or so. Uh, I've been telling telling me here not to do that, but now all bets are off because I'm such an asshole, John. So that that was that whole story. And if you don't think 
I will be milking this for the rest of my life. You people don't know me. It's really? like starting. It's like it, it was like I started a wave. If I didn't hate the fucking wave, <laughs> and this is a, it's actually a good wave. So I will take credit to the day I die uh, for the hit him with the hind becoming a uh, huge, huge deal. We will close the show off with one more thing. Finally, finally, there is peace between podcast Detroit programs. Oh. What? Gridiron Go Lions, which mm-hmm. airs, what, on Mondays? Dead, yeah. Yesterday? Yeah. No, dead. Yeah. Not this oh. year. It's not on right now? No. Oh, I thought he was doing the show again. Not that I'm informed. Oh, okay. Well, anyway... Theo Spite, who is the singer at the Lions games when they score a touchdown and sings forward down the field. And I have had a contentious relationship. He has said that he's not down with the DSR. He doesn't like our shenanigans. He's blocked me on Twitter. Uh, Justin Spiro, former managing editor and co-host of this program, uh, was trying to record a holiday special, Christmas special, joint singing of Forward Down the Field between Theo and Justin. And for some reason, Theo hates charity and refused to do it. He's like Donald Trump, just absolutely refuses to give to charity. But there's been detente. Peace in our time, Jessica. Really? Yes. Please inform me. Because Theo and I have recorded a version of a forward down the field, and oh. here it is. Oh, God. That will not yield. <laughs> and then cheer the brave. Down the field and gain. A Lions victory! People thought it would never happen. Mentally, you're like fucking 12, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't, at least I don't <laughs> listen to Taylor Swift and think Jimmy Fallon is the new David Letterman. All right, fine. You're like 17. Is uh, that better? Yeah. I, <laughs> why, what, what are you saying? We Theo and I got together and we Shut recorded that. <laughs> Oh, well. So maybe I'm so going to hear about this from somebody next well, why? week. Why? He's not even doing the show you said. Well, no, I'm not talking about him. Other people like that dislike you listen to your show. And no, I'm not going to disclose who. Come on. Who cares? Well, you brought you, it you know, up. But I'm just, I'm just going to say you should be proud that even though people like you're even your haters, like they hate you, like they fucking loathe you, but they will still listen to your show. And they don't human, even, human, and they notice when you don't human, have human? a show on for a week. Human Newman? I don't know. Who? The guy from the uh, the Red Wings show. No, Newman. no, not him. Other people hate me. Well, I'm sure. I, well, not, okay, hates a strong I'm word. Take, I'll just I'm gonna say have Dave take you to Camilo's, get you drunk again, and then come in here, and then I'll ask you Dave's on not, air. Dave's not gonna snitch. No, he won't snitch, but he'll just get you drunk. <laughs> like that one day you you two came in here sloppily drunk. Well, we went for after lunch. you went and to then had a lot how, of how vodka. Much, you went to lunch. How much food was how much food was eaten? No fireball. Yeah, I was so you guys and came I in think here I had absolutely half a sloppy. Sandwich. 
and yeah. like probably 15 shots. So. so I'll have Dave do that again and then come in here and ask the people who hate me, but listen to every word. Not hate. I think just strongly dislike because you like attack people that they know and or are associated with, obviously. So dislike, but they still listen to your show. Oh. So I find that amusing and I think that you should too. Okay. So, well, yeah. I appreciate uh, everyone listening. You don't have to like me. You can hate me. You want me dead. You can enjoy the program. As long as you listen, that's all I care about. And because I'm such a nice guy and because Cali Tickets is such a great sponsor of the program, if you call right now, the first caller to 877-225-8425. That's 877-225-8425. Uh, CaliTickets.com will give you some Tiger tickets, I guess. So if you actually want to put yourself through that, uh, you can call in 877-225-8425. Remember, all your ticket needs from CaliTickets.com. Mention the DSR. Mention Theospite. Mention Jessica. <laughs> Mention Podcast Detroit. Mention Brad Galley's Tiger Beat magazine covers covered and come. <laughs> Any of that, you will get a 10% discount. <laughs> All right, I think I should wrap it up. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, Moss Alone. We will see what happens next week. Um, hopefully I'll be here, and maybe we'll have a co-host. Maybe we'll have a sidekick. So, But thanks for joining us this week on the DSR Podcast. We will hopefully see you online, on the forums, on Twitter, and read the articles. Good night, everyone. This is a previously recorded episode of